Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Let's give Josh a hand. Man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Luke, for that uh, gracious, I'm on, okay, gracious introduction. Um, man, it's so good to be here with you here at uh, River Valley. I uh, just love how God's working at your church, and I do consider it an honor to be able to come about once a year or so and just open God's Word to you, and uh, just to hear how God's working. I always feel so welcomed here. A uh, lot of familiar faces, several uh, ex or former college students, I, I should say, that were part of that uh, college ministry we had at, at EV Free, and, uh, but just a lot, of, a lot of new folks I've met, too, over the, the years uh, here at your church, and uh, so good to be here with you. So um, I have a, a question for you today, and uh, the question has to do with, with prayer. Have, have you ever struggled uh, in your prayer life? Um, what I mean by that is, have you ever found it difficult to pray? Have you ever wondered, like, am I praying the right things? Is God pleased with the prayers that I have? I mean, has it ever been a struggle? You know, the, the New Testament actually describes prayer sometimes as as wrestling. So it's not, it's not always an easy thing to do. If you're like me, you have had some struggles in your prayer life. And um, on the one hand, I want to say, you know, don't stress over it too much, because I think if you're making any kind of effort to connect with God, you're just trying to, to talk to Him and pray, even if you're not sure if you're praying the right stuff, so to speak. Um, I think that pleases the Lord. I think He's happy that, that you're seeking fellowship with Him and that you're turning to Him in dependence and for help. And, and you're just turning your focus to Him. So on the one hand, we shouldn't stress over uh, trying to do something even if we're not doing it well, because God is pleased with that, I believe. And then on the other hand, one of the great things about God's Word is He has given us a lot of fuel, if you will, for our prayer life. And what I want to do today is I want to actually look at one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Um, he has several prayers that I think are, even though there's a specific context to the church that he was uh, writing his letter to, there's principles that would really be for all times and all places, for all followers of Jesus everywhere. And this is one such prayer. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. And I'm just going to read these verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of unpack and talk about them just a little bit, okay? So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14 says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man or inner person, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And, you know, a big part of my heart for myself and my family and for God's people is right here in this prayer, in the words that the Apostle Paul speaks, that God's people would be strengthened by His Holy Spirit in such a way that we are continually growing in our understanding and experience of the love of Christ. We were just singing about the love of Christ, and Paul's heart in this prayer is that, man, as God strengthens us with His power, 
that one of the things, one of the main outcomes of that is we grow in our understanding and experience of the love of Christ. And you know, believing in the value of prayer is important, but there's a difference between believing in the value of prayer, which most people who are part of church or follow Christ would say, yeah, prayer is important, and there's a difference between that and actually praying. And Paul then is a man who, who actually did pray. And so as we look at this church here, or this, this letter here and these, these words here, um, we want to experience all that God has for us. And his power is there for us, but sometimes God is waiting for us to just ask and to reach out to him. So going back then, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so as we approach the Lord in prayer, Paul gives us here two key attitudes that we can have as we approach the Lord in prayer. And the first attitude is, is an attitude of reverence. You know, you notice here he says, I bow my knees. Now, Paul probably literally did oftentimes when he prayed, bow on his knees and pray. And in fact, he was in prison when he wrote this letter, so he'd be chained off into a Roman guard. So it'd be real interesting if he was bowing his knees while that guard's like trying to, you know, hold that chain up and all that stuff. But, but what's important here isn't so much the posture of the body. While that certainly can be important, um, there's no prescribed, like, you always got to pray with your body in this position in the Bible. You know, Solomon stood and prayed when they dedicated the temple. His dad, David, uh, sat and prayed before the Lord when he started his kingship. Jesus fell on his face in Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, and he was praying. And here Paul says, I'm bowing my knees. What is most important is the posture of the heart before God, is that there's a, there's a reverence. You bow before the Lord in humility and in worship, and expression of dependence, and that he's God, and that, that we're not. And so there's this reverence as we approach the Lord. And he says, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from you, that, that God has the power to name everything. And in the ancient Near East, this naming of something, it amounted to bringing it into existence. So in giving it identity and then exercising authority over it, Paul is saying God has the power to give life and then to rule over all of life, every family that exists. So there's a reverence in coming before God, but there's also an expectancy in coming before God. Yes, he names every family, but he names every family. That word family, it just has the idea behind it of this desire for relationship, for connection for community. And so as Paul comes before the Lord, it, yeah, there's a reverence and there's also an expectancy. You're a good father. You desire to connect with me. You reached out to us through Jesus. You took the initiative and you desire this connection. And so we have this expectancy that when we pray, we're not just speaking empty words, but we believe that the Lord hears us. We believe that the Lord delights in our prayers that he delights in our desire to seek after him and that he actually desires to work in our lives for our good and for his glory. So there's a reverence and there's an expectancy as we come before the Lord. And then verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man or the inner person. And so the next kind of key thought with this here is that it's God's heart to strengthen us with his power and he wants this for our lives more often than we even want it for ourselves. And this is really the central focus or appeal of his prayer is that we would experience the power of God in our lives. That, that this is what everything else in this prayer flows out of. God wants to strengthen us and he wants to do it in a very personal way 
through his Holy Spirit, and he wants to give us his power uh, as he strengthens us. Now, you'll notice verse 16 says, it's according to the riches of his glory. So according to God's power, God's riches, God's glory, he strengthens us out of his supply. And it's important because that phrase according to means it's not like this set amount, like we all get a certain little portion of God's power in our lives, and that's like God's like, that's it, that's all you get, because that's all I've got to ration out. <laughs> but it's like according to his, his riches and his glory, which is inexhaustible. So to, to kind of illustrate it, you know, imagine like if, if I came up to you and I said, hey, um, I want to give you a financial gift. You know, I just came up to you personally. I see Blake, okay, so I'm going to say, Blake, I walk up to Blake and I say, Blake, I want to give you a financial gift. Now, you have a choice. I can give you a set amount, $100, or I can give you an amount of money uh, according to my riches. Now, what would you take? Yes, in my case, I'm a pastor, all right? So, so he's going he's gonna to say, you know what, it's a safe bet to take that 100 bucks. <laughs> according to my riches, that's not necessarily a super exciting thing. Now, now Blake, if, if Bill Gates came up to you, and he said, Blake, you got a choice. A set amount of $100 or according to my riches, what are you going to take? Yes, you're, you're thinking Bill Gates is going to give me a gift according to his riches. I'm going to retire at like 38 or whatever. Yes, right? Praise God. So um, that's kind of what Paul's trying to, the point he's trying to make here though is like, look, it's not about like somebody else's riches. It's not about your own self, you know, sort of efforts and will. This is according to the riches and the power and the glory of God. And it's inexhaustible. We can't even imagine how much God can do in and through our lives. Now, it is important to understand, of course, this is according to His glory, His power, His riches. Um, we can make our plans, and they're not always what God wants for us. So He's not guaranteeing that, hey, every single thing you decide you want to do, I'm going to give you the strength and power for. But the joy in this is to know that, man, every single thing that God calls you to do in your life, whether that be to go out and step out in faith on a mission field or to parent your children, he is going to give you the strength and the power that you need to do what he has called you to do. And it's not a set amount. It's according to his riches, which are beyond even our imag imagination. And what's beautiful here, too, is that he, he promises to do this personally. This is not an impersonal work, but but the Lord desires that intimacy with us, that closeness with us. He talks here about his spirit in our inner person. You know, in John 14, verses 16 through 18, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's this sense where, where the Lord just wants us to know, man, I, I'm with you constantly, always with you because I've given you my Holy Spirit. When you've put faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, he then says, I come to actually take up residence within you. That's how we change from the inside out through the power of God, and he takes up residence within us. He doesn't leave us alone. He personally delivers the strength that we need. You'll notice also that Paul's prayer focuses on this inner person, these spiritual needs. See, so often, if you're like me, our prayers are focused on material needs or physical needs, and nothing wrong with that. We should depend on God for everything, for, for health and, and riches and, 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 you know, survival and all that stuff. We definitely should be praying for material needs, but, 
But you'll notice that Paul's prayer here, the focus is on the spiritual because, you see, often our prayers don't focus on the spiritual. And Paul knows that if the inner person can be strengthened, then the outer stuff will often take care of itself. It's where we really need the strength to live the lives we're called to live is inside. That's where the real battle takes place often, right? What, what we think about, what we feel, what, what creates within us either passion or anxiety. It's the inner person that needs strength. And so Paul says, pray first that inside you would be strong by God's power so then you can face whatever he's called you to face, and you can do whatever he's called you to do and be who he's called you to be. That's that spiritual part of us where God dwells and where he works. And then uh, verses 17 through 19 says, so that, why are we praying for this strength of the Holy Spirit? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And next thought here is is simply this, is that being strengthened by God's Spirit increases our capacity to understand and experience the love of Christ. God wants to go deeper in his relationship with you and with me. And sometimes the question is, do we want that for our lives as well? Paul uh, uses three different pictures here to get across this idea of spiritual depth. And there's three verbs, dwell, rooted, and grounded. Now we might, when I first looked at this, and you might have the same question, uh, what does it mean to dwell in our hearts through faith? Because Once we put faith in Christ, doesn't Christ then dwell in our hearts? And certainly the believers here in Ephesus, Christ dwelt in their hearts because in chapter 1, verse 1, he calls them saints, which means they're the people of God set apart for God's purposes. So yeah, Christ is already dwelling in their hearts through faith. But but the verb there literally uh, means to settle down and feel at home. So it's kind of like this, right? Um, You know, if, if, if you ever had guests over to your house, especially when you got all the little kids running around. I mean, I, we've had this experience, my wife Chris and I, where it's like, okay, let's scramble to get this house cleaned up, all right? <laughs> we want it to look good for our guests, and we want them to feel comfortable. But there's like that one room, you know, where you close the door, and you're like, all right, uh, nobody goes in that room. You know, you just close it and say, just stay out of that room, because we like threw like, you know, a whole bunch of the kids' toys in there, and like a trash bag or whatever. I don't know what's in there, but... Um, it's like, we don't go in that room. And so when the guests come over, it's like, yeah, you can feel at home here, but you, know, you, know, you don't go in that one room. And, and that's kind of what happens with Christ in our lives. You know, he comes in when we put faith and trust in him. He dwells within our hearts. He promises, I'm going to abide with you through the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't necessarily feel at home in our lives. Because we're like, okay, Jesus, you can be in the living room, you know, kind of that front part or maybe the front yard. But man, you're not getting back into all the crevices of my heart and my life. There are certain parts of my life and my heart that, Jesus, you're not welcome there right now. And what Paul is saying is here, Jesus wants to be at home with you. He doesn't want to just be a guest for a couple hours, see all the best stuff, and then move on. Truth is, he knows everything anyways. So he's just saying, I want to dwell. I want to be at home in every part of your life. I want to be at home. I want to dwell there. I'm, I'm coming to live. I'm not coming to just hang out for a couple hours. I'm coming to live in you. And so there's this idea of, yes, he dwells there, but continue to let him feel at home in our lives. 
And then these words here for uh, rooted and grounded or being established, uh, they're participles. They're in the perfect tense. So they indicate a past action with continuing results. So in other words, just like a tree that's planted has roots that never stop growing or the tree then dies, so our roots in Christ's love never stop growing. Underneath the ground, underneath the surface, there's a lot of growth that's happening as that tree continues to grow above the ground. And, and with this foundation that's being grounded or this established in Christ, this idea that we can't build any higher until we've built deeper and stronger with that foundation. And so the foundations of our faith coming to God's word, we continue to build on it. We continue to come to God's word and grow that foundation. We continue to experience a walk with the Lord through prayer and through worship and through fellowship and through serving, and we just continue to grow and build on that. And, and the whole point is it's like, yes, we have it. We are rooted. We are established, but keep on being rooted. Keep on being established then. So Paul is praying that there'd be a deeper experience for believers with Christ because that's what we need if we're going to face the trials of this life and if we're going to step out in faith in the ways in which he calls us to. And he strengthens us so that we can understand and experience more and more, Paul says here, of his love. <clears throat> this love that surpasses knowledge. And he uses these four dimensions of uh, height and length and width and breadth to describe that basically you can't measure the love of Christ. There's no way to measure the love of Christ. And therefore, we never stop growing and our capacity to know and understand the love of Christ. You know, sometimes the phrase love of God or love of Christ, it's used so often in church that we get a little desensitized to it. Like, oh yeah, God loves me, the love of Christ, great. And, and, but the reality is like we can never fathom the depths of God's love for us. And Paul's like, here, man, I want you to be strengthened so that you can know this power that surpasses knowledge in ever-increasing fashion. And... Um, you know, this was obviously first demonstrated to us through the cross. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 of 1 John say, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the love of God is first demonstrated in his word and through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. But as we grow in this love relationship with God, there should be an increasing amazement that he does indeed love us. As we become increasingly aware of the price that Jesus paid and increasingly aware of the depths of our own sin, there's also an increasing amazement at the depths of God's love and grace for us. And even though we can never fully understand the love of God because we're finite and he's infinite, it's... To me, it's exciting to think we can always grow in our depth and understanding. There's never like a place where we can say, I've arrived, and I, I, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to experience anymore. I don't need to grow anymore. That's like a continuing lifetime of growing and experiencing in the love of Christ. Now, at, at this point, you know, I, I kind of want to make a little bit of a shift and talk about day-to-day -day living. Because this is all well and good, and we're talking about it here in church, and I mean, God's Word speaks to our lives, but, but sometimes we may wonder, how do some of these principles, how do some of these illustrations and ideas, how does that play out in everyday life? And I'm just going to share with you a little bit for myself, and this may be something you resonate with, it may be something you're like, no, I don't really resonate with that, and whatever, you know, the, the challenge then is figure out how does it apply to your life. 
But for me, you know, there's two kind of seasons in life where I become acutely aware of my need for the power of God and my need to grow in my experience of the love of God. So two, two seasons, you know, in particular, we, we need God for all seasons, but there's two in particular that increase or enhance my awareness of how desperately I need the power of God through His Spirit, how desperately I need to know more and experience the love of Christ. So the first one would be what, what I call like a crazy season, okay? Like when life is just like crazy. You know, when, when you're, you and your spouse like have three kids or more and they all have a game and it's at three different locations and there's two of you and one of your cars isn't working, you're like, how are we going to do this tomorrow, right? I barely even thought about it because the week's been so busy with work and then work's asking you for a few more hours and you've got commitments with church and, and somebody in your life group like needs you to just be with them for a couple hours because they're going through a trial and then you get a bill that you didn't expect and then family shows up and says, hey, we're going to be there this weekend. We're going to stay for like the whole weekend. You're like, what? And life is just crazy. And you feel like you're just surviving. You're just barely keeping your head above water. And then it's like press reset and start over again the next day. And the weekend, you know, gets filled up too with like birthday parties and weddings and all kinds of stuff. And, and you're just, you're going through a crazy season. You're going off the rails of, of a crazy train, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of like a crazy season. And for me, there's some warning signs that if I'm going through a crazy season and I'm not deepening in my walk with God and depending on Him through His Spirit and through the love of Christ during that season, some of the warning signs that come to me uh, might look like this. In my inner person that Paul talks about here, so like internally, whether it's coming out on the outside or not, I start to feel some things like impatience. Like people are talking and I'm like, stop talking. (laughs) Like I start to feel numb inside. Like, I'm just, man, I don't have emotions right now. I, I get irritated easily. I feel anger. Sometimes feel overwhelmed. I don't want to listen to people. And I think about escaping a lot, like getting away and just, okay, I, if I could just not think about anything, that'd be great. Then what happens is outwardly, if that's not dealt with, I become short and snappy. And my wife's like, what's going on? Why are you mad? I, you know, and I'm just expecting her to know. Um, I get really angry at the way people drive. People don't drive real well. If you have to commute a lot in Fresno, it is a pretty cra- crazy place. But, but I get angry. Like, you mad dogging me? Oh, I'll mad dog you back. You know, that kind of like level of like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on? And then I actually start to drive badly myself because I'm always rushing around and I feel like I'm late for things. And, and I become that guy who's cutting people off or tailgating and, uh, or I zone out on people when they're talking. And so those are some of my warning signs that I'm going through a crazy season and I'm not dealing with it in a way that would honor the Lord. And maybe you have some of those same warning signs, maybe you have something different, but, but those are going to happen when we go through a crazy season if we're not experiencing the power of God and we're not turning to then a deeper experience of the love of Christ. Another time when I'm acutely aware of my need for God's power and the love of Christ is when I'm going through uh, a painful season. Um, it's not a matter of if you have pain in your life, it's a matter of when is the pain going to come. And I'm finding as I'm getting older that sometimes that pain um, is more frequent or uh, more intense. My mother, Esther, passed away August 26, uh, just a few weeks ago. And she had a bit of a long off-ramp. Um, we knew that um, her health wasn't good and that at, at some point she was uh, going to go be with the Lord. Uh, it came sooner than I thought. Uh, my parents were living in our home, so that was a real blessing that she died 
listening to her favorite worship song, took her last breath, listening to a song called Eternity, and we were surrounding her with, with love and prayer and just reading scriptures. Um, but, and, and there's this incredible joy, this intensity of joy that's difficult to describe, knowing that her suffering is over and that she's in the presence of Jesus. But simultaneously, there's an intense pain that uh, is also almost undescribable until you've experienced it. When, when she drew her last breath, I mean, all that beauty of hearing worship and, and being, you know, together with her, I, I completely lost it. I collapsed. I just wept uncontrollably. And she had this rock under her bed. She had this hospital bed in our, in our house, and she had this rock that I I think she, she loved nature, and I think she'd lifted it from Kings Canyon National Park. I don't think she was supposed to, but she somehow took this rock, and it was under her bed, and I just, I just fell down, and I, I used that bed as like a pillow. I just laid there for quite some time, and uh, it hasn't been necessarily easy moving forward either. Um, again, there's joy, but there's also pain, and, you know, grief is the price you pay for loving someone is the way I've heard it put, but even though my inner man feels this pain, if I'm not dealing with it in a healthy way, I can get lost in that pain. And that's not healthy. That's not a good thing. And so what I want to share with you now is we, we have these seasons, crazy seasons, painful seasons. There's a lot of others that I could describe, and I'm just going to kind of stop with those two today for the sake of time. There are unhealthy ways to deal with craziness or pain. Uh, there are ways that you might say circumvent the work of God's spirit and therefore hinder God's power and growth in love in our lives. Okay, here's, again, here's some things I do. You may or may not relate, but here's some things I've done in the past or that I struggle with even in the present. When I'm going through a painful or crazy season and I'm not turning to the Lord, I'll just kind of get passive. Like at home, I'll just kind of, okay, I'm going to check out. This is my time of refuge and uh, I'm just going to check out. I'm going to become a little passive and not, not engage the family the way I should. Um, I'll, I already mentioned, I'll, I'll get angry, you know, get angry at that inanimate car that just cut me off, right? <laughs> I'm angry. I, I focus on the things that are stressing me out, and then they become bigger, and they gain more power in my life. Um, I'll tend to sometimes get on the phone and just get lost in some of the phone apps. So, like, I'll look at CNN and Fox News to kind of get like, okay, what are the two sides saying? And then I'll just get lost in these news articles, and I'm like, man, I just wasted a bunch of time, and now I feel, like, way more depressed than when I started reading these news articles because it's not very life-giving. Or on a lighter note, like Yahoo Sports, or, you know, I, just, I joined a fantasy football league, and a few years ago when I was in one, I remember I spent way too much time watching teams that I didn't care anything about to see if my guy was going to do good. It's like, I can just wait and see what the stats are. I don't need to watch every single game, right? Um, binge watching, right? Netflix, discovered shows I never watched when they were out, like 24, and then started, oh, man, I got to watch one more, right? And it's like in a way of this escape, and in the past, one thing I've discovered for myself, and, and I want to be very careful here because this is for me, and I'm definitely not saying this is for you, but drinking alcohol to unwind um, was not a good practice for me. Because when I did it privately, I would find that after one glass of wine or whatever, I'd want a second and maybe more, and it just led me down unhealthy paths. And so I'm not against drinking alcohol, uh, social drinking, whatever. The Bible talks about drunkenness. It doesn't talk about drinking as being the thing that displeases the Lord, but I'm just saying for me, that's kind of a barrier that I put up, that drinking privately to unwind, not a good idea. That's an unhealthy way for me to deal with some of these things. So what are, your, what are yours? Maybe you have some unhealthy ways you've dealt with some things. Well, here's some healthy ways of dealing with pain or craziness to experience then God's power and the love of Christ that, again, I've 
found to be helpful for me. Not saying you should follow all these, but maybe there's something that, that resonates with you or maybe you have your own ideas or this will help spark some thought towards that end. But one of them is literally praying this verse, these verses, 14 through 21, literally at least once a week, actually praying right through these verses. Praying through these verses and inserting then, maybe not just saying uh, that I'm praying that God would grant you, but throwing in, Lord, I pray that you would grant Josh, myself, my wife, Chris, my, my sons, Noah, Sam, and Gabe, and our church, um, naming some other friends, depending on how much time I have. I may just say my church, my family, my friends, or I may insert specific names of people, but literally praying this prayer at least once a week, just taking the word of God and saying, Lord, I want to experience the power of your spirit as I pray your word in. Making sure that time with God is happening in my life, that there's rich time to soak up his word, to soak up his presence, whether that taking the form of a prayer walk, reading, you know, at least a chapter of God's word a day, taking some time to journal uh, prayers or scripture, write down thoughts that are coming, memorizing scripture, whatever it is, there's different practices. That's not so much the point. The point is, are we connecting with God through the word and prayer in some form and just soaking that time up with God? And we have to stop just saying, I'll make time for God because oftentimes that doesn't happen. And even as a Christian, we would be asked, well, do you think it's more important to spend time with God or your social media or your, you know, media interests? And we would all say, well, spending time with God is more important. But then sometimes our schedules might reflect something different if we actually measure how we budget our, our hours. And, and so one, one easy way um, or simple way, maybe I should say instead, is to connect with God is just make a decision when you wake up in the morning that before your feet hit the floor, you're going to turn at least a thought to God. You're laying in that bed and you've got all your battles to face that day. And before the day even starts, you just say, Lord, thank you for a new day. Thank you for my redemption in Christ. Lord, what do you want to do in me and through me today? It doesn't have to be complicated or long, but we turn our thoughts towards God before we get out of that bed and we start the day with an orientation of our hearts, with a, with a desire to align with the will and the power and the love of God. We also need to open up. I found I need to open up to my wife. She needs to know what's going on in my head. It's not fair to her if I get upset with her and I haven't told her what's on my heart. Um, she doesn't know how to pray for me if I don't talk to her about how I need her to pray for me. God's put men in my life that I don't need to try to impress them. Godly men, I need to open up to those men and say, here's where I need prayer right now. Here's where the challenges are. Um, and and we, we open up to the people that God has put in our lives. Uh, creating margin. I found that that helps to create a little margin in my life. If there's something I can change in my schedule, certain things I can take off my plate. I'm not saying drop all commitments, but we don't always have to do every single thing that we're asked to do. Sometimes we have to say no to certain things so we create some space for time with God or for rest or for family or for important relationships. I've also found for myself that consistent exercise is really important. Like physically exercising, not turning it into an idol or anything like that, but just saying, Lord, I, I connect with you sometimes when I'm out running or whatever I might be doing, just to be able to even think about God in that context is super helpful. Um, and, and just having the energy to do some of the things God has called me to do. And, and in my case, and again, I say, this is, this is just me. I'm not saying you should do this. But I make checklists of kind of some of my goals for the week when it comes to either my time with the Lord and my exercise because it just helps me stay on track. Like, we can get legalistic with that kind of stuff, so there's a caution there. But, but for me, I'm, I'm way better on track if I have some checklists of goals. Um, and then keeping a balance. 
I hope you didn't misunderstand when I talked about the binge watching and the fantasy football and all that, that like we shouldn't do those things. Now, I think we can enjoy those common graces that God gives us. We just don't want those good or enjoyable things to become ultimate things in our lives. And so keeping a balance, like, man, if I put first things first with the Lord and with family and with work and priorities, then I can enjoy some of these other things. Just don't let them become the priority because they're not. They're very secondary to what really matters. And then interestingly, serving others is actually another great way to uh, grow in the power of God and in the love of Christ, even when we're going through these painful or crazy seasons. Sometimes we help ourselves the most by getting our focus on others and serving. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever seen a pond, right? If you've ever hung around a pond, you know, the water flows in and it doesn't go anywhere. And so it gets like algae and pond scum and bugs and it's kind of nasty. Nobody really wants to swim in a pond. But a river where the water flows in and then the water flows out is powerful and beautiful and is useful for transportation and all kinds of other and for generating power and all kinds of other things. And that's kind of the picture I see with, with the love of Christ as we experience the love of Christ flowing into our lives, we then have the opportunity to allow that love to flow out of us. Like Jesus said in John 7, it'll be like rivers of living water that flow in our lives and flow out of our lives. And, and sometimes what we need when we're going through those seasons is actually to help get that focus out on others. Well, I want to close you with a story just that I think kind of helps to show this dependency on God and this power. So a lady named Corey Tenboom, maybe you've heard of her. She, uh, she and her family actually hid Jewish people in their homes during World War II in Holland. And when they were caught, the Nazis like threw the entire family in concentration camps. Most of them died, including her sister, Betsy. Corey Tenboom survived, and she went on to write like a best-selling book called The Hiding Place about her experiences. But she talked about speaking in Germany after the war was over, 1947, she's giving messages in churches about the love of Christ, talking about how God will take our sin and cast them into the ocean and remember them no more. And as she's speaking at this church, this guy walks up, and he's actually wearing like an old Nazi uniform because he probably didn't have any other clothes because they were so poor and devastated after the war was over. And she recognizes him. This is a guy who is a guard at the prison I was at where my sister Betsy actually died and we were humiliated. And this man doesn't remember that she was there. So he walks up to her and he says, it's so beautiful that God has cast our sins into the deepest ocean. And he says to her, I want to hear you say it too. Would you, would you just say that I'm forgiven for the cruel things that I've done? And this is what she said happened. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. Forgiveness is not an emotion, it's an act of the will and it can function regardless of the temperature of the heart, but I did not want to forgive him. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes, I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. Ha, not true. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say 
that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Let's have a word of prayer. So, Father, we do turn our hearts to you in full recognition that to experience the power of your Holy Spirit, to experience the love of Christ, it's not something we can conjure up on our own. We can make the decision to say, Lord, that's what I want. We can make the decision to say, Lord, that's what I ask for. That's what I plead for. But, Lord, we know that at the end of the day, only you, through your supernatural working, through the power of your Holy Spirit in us, can lead us to a place where we can do things like forgive those who have hurt us, where we can do things like face each day, trusting you, not always taking matters into our own hands, living at peace, encouraging and building up our family, serving you and taking steps of faith. God, we can't do it on our own. We need your power, the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we want to grow in our depth of understanding of the love of Christ. Please, Lord, you can do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. I pray you would do that in each one of our lives here in this room, that you would grow us in the depth of our experience of the love of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us according to the riches of your glory. I do want to take a moment here. If you're here in this room this morning, and as I talk about these uh, different truths from God's word and experiencing the love of God through Christ, maybe as you look inside, you say, you know, I, I don't know if I've actually ever really trusted in Christ like if you were to leave this place and, and for whatever reason die and not make it to the next day, that you don't have a, a full confidence that you would go right into the presence of God and be welcomed by the open arms of Jesus Christ. And we've been singing and talking about the love of Christ here. And, and maybe this is your moment to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be part of the family I want to be part of the family of God. And the Bible doesn't make it difficult for you to come to faith. The Bible actually tells us all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we come to him in faith. That means we trust. We trust that God created us and that he has a vision and a purpose for our lives. We agree with God that we have sinned, whether it's in what we've thought about or what we've said or done what we fail to do, anything that is not perfect, anything that goes against what God wants is sin. And we just agree that we have more sins than we can possibly imagine. We can't even measure the depth of our sin. And we agree with God. I'm a sinner and I'm guilty. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's a separation from God. And in many ways, it's a separation even from ourselves and from others. There's a brokenness in this world because of sin. Believe then that Jesus went to the cross. Willingly, God took the form of man, went to the cross, died as a substitute in your place and in my place, knowing everything about us. He died in our place 
was buried and was raised to life. So just pray this with me. If that's something you want, actually, first I want to ask, would you just slip your hand up in this room? You can keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Or anybody in this room that desires that for your life? Okay, I see. I see one or two hands up. Thank you. Would you just pray this with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for creating me in your image. Thank you for loving me. I've sinned, Lord, against you. I'm broken and I'm guilty. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, to take away my shame, to take away my guilt, to give me freedom and forgiveness and hope and new life. And Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you rose. And I ask now that you'd forgive me. I ask that you'd fill my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you if that's something you prayed that you would uh, either reach out to maybe one of us here um, or one of the leaders or there's a connection card also on your seats that you can fill out and just let the church staff know that uh, that's something you've done. Thanks.